we're thankful for another opportunity to get to study and look into the Word of God. Thankful to the Lord for all things that He's provided us and given us the ability and the means to be able to do this and be able to share the Word of God with you. We're getting close to finishing the third chapter of John and um, looking like maybe next we'll study some of the feasts and um, ceremonies of the Old Testament, maybe just four of the feasts uh, in particular. Dig into those and try to see some of the spiritual foreshadowing uh, from Moses' day of Christ and of the work he's going to accomplish. And we'd like to say if, if anybody listening has a question about a scripture, there's a chapter you'd like to study, a, a verse or a few verses that you've always wondered about, if you'd like for us to study them, just email them, email your question, email your, uh, email your scripture to us, let us know, and we'll try to cover that for you. Uh, we'd like to be a help and a benefit to anybody that we can. So we're in the third chapter of John, and last time we got down to about verse 26, Jesus has already finished his discourse with uh, Nicodemus, and he's went out with his disciples, and they are baptizing, and John the Baptist also baptizing. So they're both baptizing at the same time in different locations, and... Uh, it is important to note that Jesus himself didn't baptize, but his disciples. That's in John chapter 4, verse number 2. But the question arose of the Jews, um, who one would assume to be the unbelievers and John's disciples, about these baptisms. And Jesus is baptizing, John's baptizing, which is better, which should we take, I've been baptized by you, do I have to be baptized by him? The exact question we don't know, but it certainly appears by the answer that the question is about Jesus and John, and are they against one another? And last time we looked at, they asked John the Baptist the question, the one you bore witness to, he's baptizing and everybody's going to him. So, you know, certainly that love and affection for John the Baptist of his disciples. It's there. Um, they respect him. They love him. They believe in what he's done. And, and he was a man, by the words of Jesus, a man sent from God, the forerunner of Jesus Christ, the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Uh, well, we'll say, I, I said that wrong, the greatest man born of a woman, is Jesus' own words. He was a man with a mission from God himself to preach repentance and baptism for the remission of sins. And so as they see Jesus begin his ministry and it looks like more people are going to him, the natural flesh is to feel sorry for yourself and to be defensive for John the Baptist. And I believe that's what we see here uh, we looked in Numbers where Joshua was envious over other people prophesying in the camp besides Moses. 
And Moses' response was, Do you envy for my sake? I would that everybody prophesied. And the important thing to realize is the work is God. It doesn't matter whose hand he's using to accomplish it. Be thankful that God's accomplishing his work. And I think that's a very important lesson for everybody to realize that if you're working for the cause of Christ, whether you're the most popular in the world or you're the least popular in the world, if God is the one you're following and you're accomplishing His work, you're there doing His purpose. So John, I believe we're going to see a very wise answer from John here, and that's where we'll pick up in verse 27. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. So, very a very wise statement there, and one we ought to spend some time on thinking and letting that sink into our mind. So receive means to take, to get a hold of, to seize. So how can a man receive something if it's never been given to him? It's the, the beauty of the language and the words that's used here. A man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. So certainly you can't receive a gift from me if I don't give it to you. Well, John's using that same thought with the spiritual side from God. How can you receive something from God that God don't give to you? So the reason he's saying that is if Jesus is receiving all of this success from God, then why should I be upset that he's having success? It's not that John is a better man than Jesus. It's not that John is a better minister than Jesus. And it's not that, uh, and let's be careful how we say this, it's not that John is not doing the will of God and Jesus is. John was doing the will of God. He was still continuing his mission that God had gave him to accomplish in this life. And by all accounts, John was doing that mission well and as God wanted it to be done. So it's not that John was somehow falling short now and Jesus was surpassing him. This was just the plan of God that Jesus was now going to begin this work, him and his disciples, in spreading the gospel. And remember, the gospel was Jesus death, burial, crucifixion, and resurrection for the remission of sins. So John's success that he had enjoyed in the previous span, and it looks like multitudes came out to John to be baptized and to hear his preaching and his message, that success was given him by God. It wasn't because he was radically different it wasn't because he was something new, but true success. And, you know, let's be careful to discern the difference between the two. There will be success early on because you're new. Maybe the pastor's new and more people will come to hear the new man. Maybe, he's, uh, maybe he does a little differently and they'll come to see because he's a little different. 
uh, Lazarus was a man that was dead and raised again. They came out of curiosity just to see the man that had been raised from the dead and to see him alive. So there is that going on, but that's not real success. That's not real uh, God-given success. Those come and they go away. But the real success people that hear the gospel, believe, and are saved, that's given by the hand of God. And all real success that John had, people that came and heard his gospel and that truly repented and were baptized, those people were given him by God. And remember his mission was to point them to Jesus. He was the forerunner of Jesus, his mission was to point them towards him. Is that not the same mission of the church of the living God today? Not to bring people to ourself, not to create loyal followers of a church or a local assembly, not to create lo uh, followers of a man or a minister of the Word of God, but the mission of the church, the mission of ministers, the mission of deacons, the mission of the, the body of Christ as a whole as it is on this earth, is to point people and lead them to Jesus. And so John, John says, God gave me success for a season, and now Jesus is seeing people come to him and the way it looks, more people and maybe much more people than what was coming to John. Did that discourage John and make him quit? It did not. Did that make John bitter towards Jesus' disciples? It did not. John says this is the order. This is how God's ordered it to be. God's given this man success today. God's the one giving it. I'm still following God, whether I'm baptizing them under repentance or Jesus' disciples are baptizing them under repentance. What matters is that people are being baptized by the direction of God and by the will of God, and God's getting His work done, whether it's through my hands or not. So that's kind of the context of what John's saying there. But there's a there's a whole lot broader meaning we can derive from that as well. In First Chronicles chapter 28, here we see David, and David was nowhere near a king. His family doesn't appear to be rich, and he was the least, the youngest of all of the sons of Jesse. And yet, he became the king of Israel. Now, how did he become the king? God appointed him to be king. God chose him. God anointed him. God set him up. And God placed him as the king of Israel. This is David's words in First Chronicles 28, verse number 4. Howbeit the Lord God of Israel chose me before all the house of my father to be king over Israel forever. For he hath chosen Judah to be the ruler, and the house of Judah, the house of my father, and among the sons of my father, he liked me to make me king over all Israel. And of all my sons, 
for the Lord hath given me many sons. He hath chosen Solomon, my son, to sit upon the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. So David says it was not any personal qualification that I had. It was not anything that made me better than anybody else in my family or in the world, but this was the direction and the choosing of God that brought this to pass, that allowed this to happen, and that brought me to a place that I could serve as the king of Israel. It was God's direction. So in Hebrews chapter 4, I believe we'll see a scripture that'll go right along with this. Here he's talking about the priesthood. In Hebrews chapter 5, I'm sorry, verse number 4, No man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. So you see, the kingdom was given as God sees fit. The priesthood was given as God sees fit. And all things of a truth are given as God sees fit. In Acts chapter 17, verse 25, This is very familiar scripture in verse 25. Acts 17, verse 25. Neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. So this God has given all things unto all men. And you know, that leaves us with no place of boasting in self for anything. John couldn't boast for the success that he had had, and now his success was dwindling, and more were going to Christ, yet he's not upset because the work of God's still being done, and he has the wisdom to see that this is by the plan and direction of God. So there's no place in God's kingdom for there to be boasting one over another. There's no place for me to be high upon myself thinking I'm better one of another. There's no place for uh, me to be envious of another's success because we are where God has placed us and where God uses us for His purpose. And as long as we're following God's will, word, and spirit for our life, God is accomplishing that that He desires to accomplish using us. Now, the flesh says, well, it's not fair. I do better than so-and-so, and we're all like that. We all have that nature. We all want to feel sorry for ourselves when things are not going as we picture they ought to be. But God help us to hold to the truth, to hold to the Word, to hold to the Spirit, and just as John does here, realize that God's work must come before my feelings, my thoughts, my fears, and what I think my success ought to be. When God gives success, glory be to the name of God for allowing us to triumph and see souls be saved. That's, that's real success. But remember, that comes not because we've worked extra hard or because we've prayed extra hard. 
or because we've done very well, or because we've really drew near to God in revival, I realize that 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 has been spread across our neck of the woods for many years. And I thought that way at one time. But the God's truth is, if people are saved, it's because God's chosen it to be that way. And I've got no purpose, no reason, no cause to boast of me having anything to do with that. This is the work of God, and glory be to His name for the work that He's accomplished. In 1 Corinthians 3, verse 5, Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers by whom you believed? even as the Lord gave to every man. Who is Paul and Apollos? They're just a man that God chose to preach the day you got saved. God could have put anybody in that place. God could put anybody in that place and get that work done. Paul, I believe, was very glad that God used him as he did to preach. But realize who and what you are. You're just a man that God's chose to use in the place you're in and give God the glory that he's chose to use you. So, Verse 6, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. So the, the success, and I believe here you can see, as it is in all other places, people hearing and believing the word of God, repenting, and being changed by the operation of God in the inward man that does not rely on the man that's behind the pulpit. The most educated God-called man in the world can be preaching. Or the most ignorant, backwards man that God's ever called can be preaching. And yet, the success does not rely on the natural qualifications nor the abilities, but it's God that gives the increase always. So, whether the church is slap full or whether there's just a few, that doesn't depend on the man. And we're not going to get a new man and get it to be any different. And you know, you, you fight a battle right there. Because people believe that with a better man, we can have better success. And you might get one in with a program, with an idea, with a thought, with whatever's hip going across our country. And you may get your number to grow. But friends, a growing number is not success as God measures it. Jesus turned to his followers one day and said, Except you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. And he offended a multitude of them, and they went back and never followed him again. When John's number grew down by the river, John said, You generation of vipers, who's warned you to flee? So you see, it's not about the number. No real success is people that are truly saved, have the witness of the Holy Ghost on them. So, can you get a man that'll grow the number? You better believe it. You can.
But the church will not see any more success under a man that's not led of the Holy Spirit of God, even if the number triples. So I, I realize maybe that's not an easy thing to swallow or to, uh, to understand completely because that is complete opposite of what the carnal mind and the way that the carnal mind thinks. But that is the Word of God. And if you'll think on that just a little while, I believe you can see it. This is designed so that when John goes to prison and has his head cut off, it's not the end of the gospel. When Peter is crucified upside down, it's not the end of the church and it's not the end of the gospel. When Paul lays his head on the chop block, Paul's not the end of the church and he's not the end of the gospel. When the pastor dies and lays his life down and is buried, that's not the end of the church and that's not the end of the gospel. This is not supposed to be anchored on any man, nor any man's ability, nor any man's faith, nor any man's uh, testimony. The, the men and the church are there to point to Jesus, and when one man steps out of the way, and John's going to, John's going to have his head removed, but there's going to be a place and a man that's there to take his place in the order that God's provided. So, you know, some may think, well, when I go, the church, she'll die out. But that's not the case. If the church is built on the right thing and if the man is doing the right job, pointing them to Jesus. Now, a lot of that stuff that you see the man dies and half the church is gone. He wasn't pointing them in the right place. Their faith, their trust, their belief, their salvation, if you want to call it that, their religion was based in that man and in what that man said. And that, in the kingdom of God, is of no value. So John says, A man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. Ye yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. John says this is not a new message. I told you this in the very beginning. I've said this the whole time that I've been uh, preaching. I've said this when I was questioned. If you've asked, I've said it when I wasn't asked. When he come down to the river for me to baptize him, I witnessed it then. I witnessed it when he come out of the water. I bore witness my entire ministry that I am not the Christ. And yet, still multitudes look to him as the Christ. But now they can't deny this. You bore witness. You were present. You heard me say it. You saw me point to him. You saw the work that I done and you heard the testimony that I gave that I said I'm not the Christ. So in Matthew chapter 3, now this is before Jesus ever comes to where he's at. This is him preaching. John the Baptist, 
Verse 11, I indeed baptize you with water under repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. In John chapter 1, verse number 19, and this is the record of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who art thou? And he confessed and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. So John, always willing and always had told them that he was not the Messiah, he wasn't the Savior, he wasn't the one that men should look to, he wasn't the one that was going to provide salvation, he wasn't the end-all be-all of the church and of those that would come to repentance. He was just one that come to light the way for the Messiah that was coming, the forerunner. That's all we all are. To ever look at ourselves and think that we're something that's necessary. God could remove us out of the way today and tomorrow the church could see great success without us. The bottom line is, oftentimes, man's got an exalted view of who he is, what he is, and what he thinks he's done. John says, I'm not the Christ. He confessed. The Bible says to acknowledge, acknowledge or to assent. That's the meaning of that word. So I'm still in the first chapter of John. Let's look at what John the Baptist says here. They ask him, Who art thou then? Elias? And he saith, I am not. Art thou that prophet? And he answered, No. So I think here, there, there's prophecy that Elijah's going to come in the Old Testament. And Jesus himself says that John the Baptist was the fulfillment of that prophecy. But when they say, are you Elias? Are you Elijah? He's not Elijah. He's the type, the shadow. He's the forerunner. He's the voice of one crying in the wilderness. He's the fulfillment of the prophecy. But he's not Elijah. They said, Then said they unto him, Who art thou, that we may give an answer to them that sent us? What sayest thou of thyself? So, now they're going to put it to him and say, Look, John, they've sent us to find out what you're doing and who you are. Tell us, who you are. What do you say of yourself? So, John the Baptist. This is what he says of himself. This is chapter 1, verse 23. I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. So he says, I am doing the work that Isaiah prophesied of, I am the voice of one, and that's all John the Baptist was. He was one man sent to preach to Jerusalem and Judea, repentance for the remission of sins, make straight the way of the Lord. So when he tells them that, what that ought to make them think is, okay, if he is the one 
the voice crying in the wilderness, then the Messiah is soon to come. See the mission there to point towards Jesus. So the Pharisees ask him, Why baptizest thou then, if thou be not Christ, nor Elias, nor that prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there standeth one among you, whom you know not. He it is who coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoe latchet I'm not worthy to unloose. So again, another prophecy, another admission. He's not the Christ, he's just the forerunner. And that's what men of God and the church is. We're not the Christ. The church is not the salvation. But we're there and put in place by God. John was put in place by God to point to Jesus. And the church today in 2021 is there to point the way to Jesus and to the Savior. But the church is not the source, nor is the church the means of salvation. It's the way that God works to bring Christ to mankind through His Word and through the Spirit. So John bore witness that he was not the Christ. He told them that he was not the answer. In verse 29 now, I'm, I'm in John chapter 3 again. Verse 29. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This, my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. So now we're going to get a picture. The bride, the bridegroom, and the friend of the bridegroom. So we're getting a picture of a wedding. And in today's terms, you've got the bride and the groom and the best man. And John says that he's the best man. Jesus is the groom. And the church, the believers, they're the bride. And I believe uh, we've looked in previous studies. And I believe most people that know a little about the Word of God sees that uh, likening all through the Scripture. But John says, I'm, I'm the friend of the groom. So the picture is the church, those that believe the gospel and are saved, they belong to Jesus. They don't belong to the minister. They don't belong to the preacher. They don't belong to the deacon board. They don't belong, and, and don't take me wrong here, they don't belong to the church. But them that are truly saved, they belong to the groom. They're married to the groom, Christ Jesus. Just like in a wedding, the best man, he doesn't get the bride. The groom gets the bride. He's the one marrying the bride. But... He is honored for the place. And you know that best man's spot, that's chosen. And I'm going to say most often by the groom choosing his best man to stand with him up there on the day that he gets married. That's a great honor to be chosen as someone's best man. 
And John says that he's honored to be chosen to be the best man in this wedding. Now that's what he's saying that he is, the friend of the groom. And he's honored to have his place. Paul says in uh, 1 Timothy, First Timothy chapter 1, verse number 11. According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly and unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. So Paul has got spiritual wisdom and he recognizes this, that he was injurious, he was a persecutor, he was wicked, he was of the chiefest of sinners, and yet God, through love, compassion, mercy, grace, enabled him, first saved him, and then placed him in the place that he could be a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was an honor to him, having known what he was and who he was, that God chose to save him and then put him in the ministry in spite of all the wickedness that he had committed, he was honored to be able to spread the gospel, to be in the place that he was in. In Ephesians chapter 5, we can see the picture of Christ and the church here Verse number 22, we'll start. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as unto the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. On down in verse 31, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife. They too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So you see, Christ and the church, that's the marriage. He's the one that gets the bride. He's the one, he chooses her. He redeems her. He saves her. And then she belongs to him. The minister, the church that takes place in that salvation of an individual. All we are is the friend of the, the uh, groom. And we're thankful to be able to have a place in the salvation of other people's souls. But realize that we're just there because God chose to put us there. See how this ties back in with what Paul said in 1 Corinthians? We're just ministers, just men who brought the gospel the day you were saved. It's just the church body that God chose for you to be in the day that you were saved. 
Thank God for the church and thank God for the minister that brought the gospel the day that I was saved. But realize this, that that work was a work of the result of Almighty God. God's the one that brought that work to pass. I belong to God. I don't belong to man. But it's God that brought that to pass through those men and through that church. God's the one behind every bit of it. Why should John be envious of Jesus when God's the one that done the work? Why should a man be envious of any other man in the kingdom of God when God's the one giving the success? We ought to give glory to God that His work's being done by whoever's hand that it's being accomplished through. So, this... My joy, therefore, is fulfilled. It's of a great joy for the bridegroom and the bride to be married. It brings great joy to the best man to see that come together and honored to be a part of it. As we, the people of God, whether it's being done through our hand or we have no part in it, per se. And what we mean there is if it's at our church and God's used us to preach, God's used us to give a testimony, to sing a song that would bring somebody to Christ, or it's at another church, then we ought to give glory to God that His work's being done, that sinners are being saved. No envy, no hatred. And I'm not saying we ought not labor and pray to see the will of God accomplished in our life. I'm not saying we ought not labor and pray to see God bless our church. But know this, that the work that's going to be done is going to be done through the Holy Spirit and by the will of God. And it's not going to be because we've whipped our church into shape and today we're doing better. That's that's all God's work. It's God's work. And we're just ministers of God. So Paul tells Timothy, he says now, he don't say, now go and hammer on what they're doing wrong and get them in line. No, preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. If they're going to repent, God's going to bring them to repentance. We'll, we'll stop there. Uh, Sorry if we've been scattered. Uh, we hope the Word of God can be a help and a blessing to you. Hope everyone has wonderful services this Wednesday night. Pray the Lord blesses you with His Spirit, with His strength, with His wisdom and understanding. Pray that we could all grow. Thank you. We love you. Pray for us.